0: The following is a quarantine recording presented to you in a sound. It was recorded with whatever was lying around. Sister, don't respect the sister, walk around like a woman. Is. She won't speak, less than something worse saying, don't play. The girl take herself so seriously. People stare curiously. She got a natural way, her hips sway furiously, Let a luxurious carries herself like the cutest, most purtiest thing you see this side of
1: the bay. Hey. This is Lady Don't Take No, your weekly roundup of all of the real and none of the fake. I'm your host, Alicia Garza. This show is pro-Black, pro-queer, proudly feminist, and pro-do-what-you-like. Every week, you're going to get the best of what goes on in my head, what we loving on, and what we hating on, what we might be, and what we ain't going to do. Politics, pop culture, presidents that won't peacefully transition out of power. We cover it all. We are recording from Oakland, California, the center of the known universe, where we are dealing with Rona and Reconstruction. It's a challenging time, a changing time, a time of transformation. Hell, it's all the things all the time nowadays, but we're going to help you understand the dynamics of this time every single week. So be sure to tune in, tell a friend, and please leave a review on Apple Podcasts. We do it for the culture, so the pod is Free 99, because we know that with a country in chaos, the least we could do is keep you from putting your money anywhere else than where it's needed. Our guest this week is an organizer and the executive director of People's Action, one of the largest multiracial, low-income, and working-class people's organizations in the country. His work has been covered by the New York Times, the Washington Post, MSNBC, and more. He's the host of the podcast To See Each Other. His Twitter bio says, father, husband, and banjo player. We're going to talk about all of that. Please welcome my friend, George Gale.
0: Hey, so good to Hi. be here.
1: Yes, it's so good to have you on. It's so, so good to have you on. And oh we my. don't get into all the shit.
0: There is a lot of it.
1: There's so much shit. Um, But first and foremost, before we do, you know, contrary to popular opinion, we are still in a pandemic. And I got to ask you, what has your quarantine life been like? Have you developed any unique habits live and direct from Miss Rona?
0: Yeah, you know, um. Yeah. It's like we figured out how to adapt a lot here in this this little house. One, we found out we can be somewhat okay living in a one block radius, which I didn't know that was possible. <laughs> Two, I adopted a morning practice that I've stuck with through the coronavirus that's mm. uh, like heavy on the gratitude. Um, I actually list 10 things I'm grateful for every morning after I meditate for a minute. And then I try to like think about them. I don't just kind of move them out of the intellect and into my heart. Um, Uh And that's had a big impact. I feel like it's like rewired my brain. Mm. And so when I come to that crossroads, I'm like, I can go down through a scarcity, negativity path, or I can think something else. It's like, Mm -hmm. it's making the right choices. So, Mm -hmm. um, and then crazy, this isn't what you asked, but a crazy story. So my daughter is nine and I put her to bed at night and she's dealing with some anxiety. And she's like, dad, I don't like the way my my brain's working. It's like Mm -hmm. picking like worry and maybe thinking about things I've done wrong or not so well so I was like well honey like you know like we have this built-in negativity bias that we can be pulled towards I'm telling this to a nine-year-old and then right. I'm like I was like eh. negativity bias <laughs> she, yeah, I know, I know. Yeah. <laughs> I, you know I gotta I gotta work on my rap but I walk her through it and I'm like you know so I do this gratitude practice in this morning and I think about things I'm doing well I do it every morning and she's like well, maybe I'll do that with you some morning and the next morning, like rubbing her eyes with her blanket, she comes downstairs. stairs. She says, is it time for our gratitude oh. practice? And I'm like, oh. and she's done it three days in a row. It just happened this week. So
1: I love this, that. Finding
0: some good stuff here along oh the way. Oh, my
1: God. I love that. That is like. 9-year-old sensibility and smarts that I'm going to pick up. <laughs>
0: hey, hey, I
1: love mm. it cuz I don't be doing no damn gratitude practice in the morning child. No. I'm drinking some coffee and getting on the Peloton bike and punishing myself.
0: <laughs> There's something good in there. Yes.
1: Whatever floats your boat, right? <laughs> Are there any new skills that Miss Rona has given you? I mean, are you baking bread? Oh, are you yeah. planting gardens? Are you doing your own manicures and pedicures? I mean, give me the scoop on what your pandemic skills are in case we get further into the apocalypse, I need to know what you bring into the table.
0: <laughs> yeah. And it's new stuff. I picked up two big ones since the pandemic hit. Uh one was gardening. Nice. We would buy a plant for the backyard every spring, and then we'd hit the road and come back and it would die. And we'd be like, well, next year we're going to get this. <laughs> yeah. And we do next it every year, year the entire yeah. time we've lived here. And this year w- went nuts. I mean, like, if I was going to get COVID, it was going to be at Home Depot. Like, that nice. was clear. Like, I was up there every weekend. I planted everything. Way too many tomatoes. We had tomatoes through October, October. So we grew like crazy. Planted five trees. I cut down a tree just because I was bored. Sorry about that tree. Nice. Just like, but so <laughs> learn to grow a lot of stuff and a lot of vegetables. And then the other one started building stuff. So I guess two things: we, me, and my daughter started dumpstering. We we live in a neighborhood where people throw away too much good stuff, so we dumpstered the wood and built a climbing wall for my daughter. So wow. my dad, I grew up in Southern Indiana. My dad sends me tools for Christmas and I'm like, what do you? Th- what do you think my life is? Like, I'm not sitting around with (laughs) welding and, you know, getting out a skill saw, but he sent, sends me this stuff and I got it out. And so built climbing walls. I built a cold frame so you could garden later in the year. So that's like, that was not part of my life before the pandemic. So
1: that's fucking awesome. You are definitely going to be on my apocalypse team. I call dibs. I call dibs. (laughs) (laughs) George, I've been like holding myself back from calling you because I knew we were going to do this podcast together. And I was like, you know, save it for the people. <laughs> and you are literally the first white person to appear on this podcast. So no pressure, but don't fuck it up.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I didn't know that. All right. All right.
1: You're the first one. So don't fuck this up. You know what it means to be the first. <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh Look <man>. what's <laughs>
1: happening in the country. We had the first black president. People are losing their yes, fucking I shit. Yes, I might be the
0: last. We'll see. <laughs>
1: So speaking of white folks and not fucking it up, (laughs) let me ask you what in the white supremacy is going on here. Okay. And what is your take right now on what we're seeing right now and why we're seeing this?
0: Yeah. I mean, you know, this was, this is the train we've been on. Like this was going to happen. We've, we've been heading this direction uh, for decades, honestly. And, and, And the way I think about it is like Trump may have been the one that pulled the trigger, but there's a bunch of fingerprints on this gun. And folks have been building this politics in our country. I mean, since since 1619, for sure. But even more recently, I think you could say Fox News has got fingerprints on the gun. Rush Limbaugh's got fingerprints on the gun. Mitch McConnell for basically saying, I guess I'm going to shack up with this guy's got fingerprints on the gun. You know, Cruz and Hawley, everybody's been invested in this, and they've made the wrong choices. And Facebook and Twitter have got mm-hmm. fingerprints on the guns. We've been building to this moment for a long time, and too many people cut deals with themselves and rationalize their way to this moment. So I just say that first. And then I think, second, you know this better than me, but like, I think what we're seeing is the reaction to a sense from some people that a racial caste system is being broken up in this country Mm -hmm. and folks are like and this is one of many ways that we're seeing an expression of like no we are going to maintain this caste system and we're going to go to incredible lengths to do that and I think that's what we saw on display and then lastly I would say any of our strategies to address this that do not include dealing with disinformation Mm -hmm. like I feel like you know We'll be swimming upstream and losing if we don't figure that out. Because I'll just say this, some of my relatives, you know, I've I've had some relatives die during COVID and I get on somebody's Facebook page to share my condolences like, what are you talking Mm -hmm. about? Like, this is some really, really out there stuff. So I feel like we got to figure that out. So those are some of the headlines of what I think we're dealing with.
1: Mm -hmm. Those are good and sharp headlines and super clear And, you know, speaking of disinformation and misinformation, I mean, I got family members doing the same shit, right? So definitely we're all kind of prioritizing Twitter threads and (laughs) making some profiles hidden because we're like, we can't, (laughs) we cannot do this today, okay? But (laughs) I was thinking about it. And, you know, we have spent the better part of four years doing profiles on white people in rural areas who are Trump supporters. Mm trying to create empathy and understanding. And I have a lot of thoughts on this and have had a lot of thoughts on this. You know how I feel about Mm. some of this stuff. But let me ask you, what have we been getting right about that strategy and what the hell are we doing wrong?
0: I would say first and foremost, we in the media are too obsessed with the Trump voter versus being obsessed with everybody else. And so like for the amount of time the media drawing up the profile, us trying to understand the Trump voter, us trying to get back the Trump voter, like that is a small part of the puzzle. Um, And we forget that like most Trump voters are called Republicans and they've been around for a long time. And so I just say that first and foremost. But meanwhile, just even thinking about rural communities, which is one place where there certainly are a good number of Trump voters, at least percentage wise. Like, we forget about all the folks that think of themselves as blue dots and red places. Oh, like, those yeah. folks do not feel seen by us. Yeah. They don't feel engaged by us. So, like, let's, one, I'd say this, in terms of rural America, we could go back up to a better, higher ground. President Obama won 43% of the rural vote. Secretary Clinton won just over 30%. I think oh. we could get back to Obama-like numbers. Um, and I do not think we've hit bottom. Mm-hmm. I think I think we could go a lot lower. And if we go a lot lower at the uh, state level in terms of elections, it's going to be a tough road to hoe to win elections. Uh, but worse off, and I think maybe even more important than elections, we're going to see a lot of stuff like we saw at the Capitol. So I'd say those are a couple of the things that we've gotten wrong.
1: Mm-hmm. What are we getting right?
0: Whew, that's a short list. Yeah. Um, <laughs> 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 On <laughs> which piece? Like in terms of relating to Trump folks? or Yeah.
1: Like, OK, so let me back up for a second. I, I agree with everything you laid out in terms of understanding that we've been dealing with a Republican Party that's out of control. And I would just add that the Republican Party is not just in rural areas. Right. I mean, when I look at who showed up at the Capitol building last week, um, sure. there were your kind of stereotypical, right? Um folks who probably are coming from rural areas in Alabama and mm-hmm. places like that. But, you know, because Black Twitter is pretty much fucking everything, there's all these exposés that are <laughs> that are being done. People are, people are doing the fucking job of the FBI. And they're like, oh, you can't find them? We can fucking find them. <laughs> and we go tell you where they work, where they live, what they do for work. And a lot of these people run businesses. Oh, yeah. These are not just rural people, right? These are white folks who are running massive companies who showed up at the Capitol to fucking take us back to the Boston Tea Party. But- My question about what's going right is that I actually I mean, we've seen this kind of um, it's it's like a brand that's been built. Right. That has been about both sides ism. Right. Mm -hmm. And I think in some ways, the best of that is trying to understand where people are coming from and what it is that's going on in people's minds that they see that's going wrong with this country and i think the if i'm being really generous here part of the intention behind it seems to be for people to try to find common ground so i'm curious from your perspective let me maybe ask the question a different way do we need to find common ground in this country like is there something behind this notion that there are a whole group of people that feel left out and left behind, who are not communities of color, who are not Mm -hmm. immigrant communities. These are not communities that have been quote unquote othered by race or gender, but have certainly been othered by class um, and some other other dynamics. If you were going to be a producer on some of these fucking shows that are doing all these background profiles, how would you approach it? Like, what would you think that we need to know about the America that a lot of us have forgotten about.
0: Yeah. Um, I mean, I think on the question of common ground, it depends on where that ground is, right? That's Mm -hmm. an easy thing to say until we define it. Mm -hmm. You know, we went out in 2017 People's Action and had 10,000 conversations with folks in rural communities. And we talked to Republicans, independents, Democrats, and people that just ain't even tuned into anything. Um, Mm -hmm. And we asked people three questions. What issues do you care about most? What do you see as the solution, which was our effort to not project a progressive solution on their problem? And third, like, who and what do you think is responsible for the fact shit ain't going too well right here right now? And the top five issues were healthcare, education, wages, addiction, and access to clean water. I mean, that sounds damn near like an urban agenda to me. Yep, um, yep. And then when we asked what they saw as the solutions, people actually largely picked progressive solutions. They, they, they did pick public health care as just one example. They picked getting money out of politics. And then when we asked people who and what's responsible, there were certainly answers that uh, I would think like, felt like a right-wing othering populism. Yep. So 41% of people said one of the main causes for the declining conditions in the community were undocumented folks. But 81% of people said it was a government that was more responsive to corporations than to them. So we kind of saw two strands of, like, frustration there. And, like, you don't hear that story
1: Mm -hmm. in the
0: media. And I think within those groups, we also heard kind of had put people in three groups that we experienced. One, people that were generally with us but just weren't sure we wanted them to be with us. And the most common thing we heard is nobody's ever asked me before. Like I've never had somebody Mm -hmm. ask me before. And I would say low income and working class people across the country can agree on that. Nobody asks them what they think. That's something that everybody deals with. And then there was a group on the right that was out there and extreme and like the folks that that stormed the Capitol. And then there was a group in the middle that was like kind of with us and maybe we had some common ground with on some things, but also we heard dog whistle racism and other things in their comments. And that group we think is up for grabs and needs to be organized. And what we see over and over is that if we're not organizing folks and helping them make meaning of the changing conditions in their community, somebody else is going to do it. And that, that group of people is not going to help us get to where we want to go.
1: So tell me more about what that work looks like. I mean, you and a whole crew of superheroes really have been raising up, have been rolling up your sleeves. Sorry, I was getting excited. I was like, raise it up. up." (laughs) Come on. Y'all have been rolling up your sleeves, not just trying to organize white folks into a multiracial coalition, but I think honestly trying to transform the way that power operates. Right. And not just for communities of color, which I think is what a lot of us do, right? But to say that multiracial coalitions have to include white folks. So talk to me more about what that work looks like and what the people listening can do to support it.
0: So it starts with listening, you know, and so we had these 10,000 conversations and we didn't stop there. It was not like a data collection project. Then we said, okay, people want to fight that factory farm or there's a fracking pipeline coming in or people are, Upset about wages, like we ran organizing issue campaigns to win new policies on the stuff people identified. So we won uh, rural living wage, we won opioid relief, we did stop a fracking pipeline, we stopped factory farms, we expanded public health care, and we moved people into multiracial coalitions and groups and rooms. and we intentionally went to Obama to Trump counties. There are 676 counties in the country that voted for President Obama twice. A third of those in 2016 voted for Trump. And in many cases, the swing was 25 or 30 percent. I mean, just unbelievable swings. And so those tended to be majority white, but multiracial communities. So suddenly people in a room working together across race and winning. And so people start to build trust. They start to understand each other. They start to say, man, I kind of like winning, beats what we were doing. And so then we start to have conversations about racism and talk about how racism creates different outcomes for different people based on race and is the reason we weren't in the room in the first place winning shit. Mm. So in that conversation, but then we start to run into other challenges. And I don't want to, let me just say, some of those conversations were painful as hell. Some of them didn't end well. Some of the people that were in them are gone. But oftentimes they were cathartic. They were like beautiful and there's all this waking happening. Because Mm -hmm. people had built trust, they'd experienced winning, and we had organizers who were doing race-conscious multiracial organizing. But then we ran into immigration as a bridge too far, and in some cases, a bridge too far for people across race. They're like, man, you guys are – this is too progressive for me. I just don't get it. I love the organization. I pay my dues. I'm coming to the actions, but I'm still voting Republican or I can't come to that action because I'm just not with you on immigration. So that's Mm -hmm. when we launched the deep canvas work. We said, we got to figure out how to have a real conversation with folks around immigration and went out and knocked on thousands of more doors and found deep canvassing, which is this long form, 15 to 20 minute, non judgmental conversation style to engage people around issues where there is conflict, where there is tension. And we increased support through those conversations for a more welcoming immigration policy. By 20% from one 15 to 20-minute conversation with a perfect stranger on their front porch. So we, went to, we did that in North Carolina, Pennsylvania, and Michigan. And these conversations, we try to get people to talk about what they're up against. So we would open the conversation and say, hey, there's a big conversation in this country about uh, public health care and universal health care. And universal health care is X. Do you think that's the best thing in the world? You're a 10. You're all against it. You're a 1. Where do you rate yourself? And even a lot of Republicans are like, explain this to me. It's free and it works. And maybe people would be like, I'm an 8, I'm a 9, I'm a 10. And then we'd say, hey, there's also a conversation happening around, if it's universal, it should be universal. And that includes undocumented folks. Where would you rate yourself on that? In most cases, people's numbers went down. Not exclusively, but a lot of folks' numbers went down. And then we move people into a conversation and try to help them identify an immigration story in their life. It could be from their family. It could be a coworker. Um, and then we would share one from our life. And then we'd ask people for what was a time that they were really down and needed help. And then we'd share one from our life. And in that conversation, something opens up because we're so curious about what that person's up against. And we're so curious about how they made meaning of this issue, in this case, immigration. And we never debate them. Nobody wants to get beat in an argument. So you can't. It's we don't debate people. We don't throw facts at people. And and here's a really common conversation, like a conversation I had with a guy in a trailer court in North Carolina who was into universal health care, but definitely not into undocumented folks getting it. About 15 minutes in, he's like, you know what? Come to think of it, I don't know any immigrants. He's like, everything I think about immigration, I learned on the TV. Right. Right. And he's just like, and it literally was like an aha moment washed over him. And then a Mm -hmm. few minutes later, he's like, wait, there is somebody I should be mad at. There is a reason my wife doesn't have health care. This trailer court's falling apart, but it's probably not the 10, and he didn't use the word migrant families, but, he, you know, the 10 migrant families that moved to Haywood, North Carolina, somebody else is responsible. Mm-hmm. So that happened over and over in this project, and we don't just think it worked. We actually teamed up with academics from Yale and Berkeley who measured this wow. 20% improvement rate in that, and then we're like, okay, this is working. Mm-hmm. So the pandemic hit and we're like, damn, this is about going out and talking to people on doors. Like there were lots of reasons we said, damn, with the pandemic hit, but we were like,
1: I was going to say that's an understatement. Yeah, 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 yeah.
0: <laughs> well, I think like organizers are good at two things. We're good at going out and talking to people and then moving people to public action. And the pandemic said, nope. You can't do those two things. We're like, okay, what do we do?
1: (laughs) Yeah, So we
0: moved it to the phones. We said, let's try to move it to the phones. And we had hoped because people were lonely and isolated, people might want to talk. And we first did some tests to see if we could talk to people about how they were making meaning of the uprisings following the murder of George Floyd and, and to engage people in a conversation about that. And people were ready to have those conversations with us. And then we ran another test to see if we could help people rethink their current worldview around the u s china relationship as Trump was stirring up anti Chinese sentiment, and that was successful, so we said okay let 's run this in elections, So we decided to see if we could increase support for Joe Biden and Kamala Harris and reduce support for Trump in the election using this deep canvas model, but on the phones and we had We did two hundred and eighty thousand conversations across seven states, seven battleground states, and those ended up being rural suburban and urban. We used a voter model to find folks that we thought were conflicted and were likely to pick up the phone. And 25% of the people we talked to left the call. In the beginning of the call, they were like, I'm voting Trump or I don't know what I'm going to do. 25% left the call saying, you know what, I'm going to vote Biden. We don't know how many voted Biden. But this deep canvas model of like radical empathy, trying to understand people, not judging folks, like I think there's some little nugget of what we need moving forward if we're going to build a big enough we to defeat fascism and win all the shit that we need to win.
1: You know, it's interesting, George, because what I hear you saying is actually very different than how I think some folks are approaching this moment. Some folks are approaching this moment where it's like, let's just have empathy, but not the fucking conversation.
0: Mm. Right?
1: They're like, can't we all just get along, right? I mean, I'm— Don't let the baby (laughs) face fool you. I'm old enough to remember when that was the kind of uh, the cash me outside, right, of like the 1990s, where it was literally the way to address racial strife, racial injustice, racial disharmony was to just ignore the elephant in the room. And I don't hear you saying that. And I hear you actually saying, no, we have the conversation, but part of the conversation is is also saying, and I'm going to use your quote here, you know, it's not us, it's them. Mm-hmm. Yes. <laughs> you know, we found the enemy and it's not each other. And that's my favorite saying of yours. And it makes me think about, you know, how do we translate that into a governance model? Because I have been saying for a very long time, and if this is going to be my life's work, maybe that's just what the fuck it is. I think keep saying to people when they ask me, what does Joe Biden need to do and what does the administration need to do? I'm like, well, first we all need to get on the same page about what racism is and what it's not. And if we only are approaching racism in this way that is like, oh, this is just about people being mean to each other, we're never going to change the fucking rules that keep people segregated, that keep people from getting the things that they need. And at the same time that it's not about people being mean to each other, there is something in there, George that you made me think about in terms of the isolation that people are experiencing, in terms of the kind of lack of discussion and engagement that people are suffering from, that does in some cases lead to a inability for people who are suffering to also tap into that radical empathy for other people as a way to get toward, we found the enemy and it's not each other. I woke up this morning thinking a lot about child rearing and the way I came to it, honestly, I mean, if you want to know the whole last truth, I was like putting away some laundry and I was like, it's so important for parents to teach their children how to do fucking laundry. (laughs) I'm not going to go down that thread here, but you know where I'm going with this. And so as I started thinking about the role of parents, I, I hearkened back to this article that I read last night. We all remember uh, the photos coming out of the Capitol building last week and there was somebody who was, you know, at the speaker's lectern basically wearing like some wolf costume and (laughs) they're calling this fool the QAnon shaman or some shit. And, you know, they found this fool and apparently he's 33 years old. Um, He lives with his mother, has for the last two years really hasn't been able to like make much of his life and dreams. Um, And, you know, his, his neighbors are describing him. Right. And and these are the kinds of profiles Mm -hmm. I'm talking about um, as somebody who's kind of like lost. And, you know, they interviewed the mom um, because there was another story that came out about how he's refusing to eat in jail because he can't access organic food. Definitely not going to go down that thread now either. However, it was an opportunity to talk to the mother. Mm. And the mother was saying a lot of things about her child that um, only a mother could say. You know, the kinds of statements that are deeply empathetic, but also the statements of somebody who knows someone differently than everyone else mm, does. Interesting. Now, George, you're raising a child in the middle of a pandemic, And I was thinking about how important this process is, especially as I'm reading all of these stories. I often wonder you know, my mom used to say things like, Who are your parents? (laughs) Right? (laughs) She'd be like, My mom would say shit like, Do you kiss your mother with that mouth? And I would crack up because I'd be like, That is such a Southern thing to say. But, anywho how are you talking to Addy about this moment? Mm -hmm. Are you talking Mm -hmm. to Addy about this moment? And if so, how are you talking to her about this? And do you have any tips for the parents out there who are wondering the same, how to be a parent in this moment that is helping your child make sense of it, but that is also doing it from a deeply anti-racist place? How are you helping to make sense of this moment for the little people in our lives?
0: Yeah, it's really tricky. And I think, obviously, I think, you know, I think a lot about the fact, like, if you have a white kid, you could be like, do they need to know about this yet? You know what I mean? Like, they have the privilege of being like, yeah, we can put that off, that conversation off a year. It's like, I'll never forget, you know, back when she was small, before she knew about race, she'd just be like, oh, she's at the playground. She's like, I can't wait till you meet my friend. Yeah. He'll be the one with the brown skin and the brown eyes. And she had no value associated yeah. with that. She's just like... And then she starts to learn stuff, and you're like, okay, this is going to be tricky. So one, I just think I, I really think a lot about that privilege that white parents have and white yep. kids have. And I think – so I think for Addie, like trying to help her see that this is a system, like in little ways to find a system. I mean this is a kid that pays attention a lot because she took me through – I don't know if I – actually, know at least I don't know if I tell her anything. She took me through the history of race and property ownership – when she was like eight yes. and I was like and I didn't yes, I didn't
1: Sadie, yes. I didn't do that so I was like wow
0: I mean it's just so different like I'll, we're five and we're out at the restaurant and some mom's talking to her kid and she my daughter elbows me and she's like I think they're having the transgender conversation and I was oh, yeah, she, so she's fun. like she's like oh I'm like I, you know I think I just had it like 10 years ago yeah. like, like <laughs> it's five years seven. so all of that yeah. being said I think like you know, try to help her think about it as a system versus as you said, it's like somebody did something bad to somebody else and mm-hmm. find little ways to do that. And I'm excited to figure out how to use what I learned from reading Isabel Workerson's cast book, which really I think is like I really you know, it's like I think as a white man I keep being like you learn you have these big moments of you know, it's like I remember when we saw Roots and I was like, oh shit And then I've all these big like yeah. racial awakening moments. And then yeah. three months later, you have one that makes you realize you didn't know shit three months ago, and it just mm-hmm. keeps happening. Mm-hmm. But I think I found this book to be especially powerful in a way to help her see some of those systems. Um, but then also, teach her that it's like you being feeling guilty about something somebody else did does no good for the world whatsoever. And with mm-hmm. your privilege comes responsibility for your own actions and what you do. And I think all of us want our kids, and I would say in the case of white kids to be so much better than most of our parents were because I think what I see happening since George Floyd was murdered, a lot of white folks realizing they'd spent a lot of time trying to not be racist and not screw up but actually hadn't lifted a damn finger for 20 years to address racism. And I, I know tons of people going through that awakening now. And so have your kid have some responsibility in that. And then I think the last thing I'd say and I guess I'm honing in on on white kids because that's what I got is uh we're really working to help her tune into some of her identity as you know from her like ancestors um and not be like what is this white thing but like so you know like figure out how to you know make some cookies from some country that her folks came from so because i think like we need white folks to have some things in their identity that they're proud of Uh that is not about being white Uh and so Uh i think kind of trying to build some of that and that was certainly not a thing i grew up with Uh
1: just like that, it's time for our weekly roundup of all the things Lady Just Ain't Gonna Do This Week. Number one. I mean, where do I even start? This week, we navigated all of the fallout from your soon-to-be ex-president literally doing the fucking most and the fucking least all at the same time. No surprise there, but the latest news on the Civil War that Donald janky-ass Trump tried to start is that this was more than likely an inside job. That's right. Lady hears that the day before the insurrection led by the Mayo Militia, there was a group of people that got a tour of the Capitol building by a Republican member of Congress. These same people showed up the next day acting a goddamn fool. Now, why does this matter? Well, it makes it make sense. I mean, might this be the reason that the panic buttons were mysteriously missing from Congresswoman Ayanna Presley's office on the day of the attempted coup? Congresswoman Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez is so shook, she's not even really giving details. But suffice it to say, she's on the record saying she believed she was going to be kidnapped. Now, at least three members of Congress have tested positive for covid after these clowns refused to wear masks in the bunker they were all sequestered in. I mean, the bullshit goes on and on. But here's what you need to know about this dumb shit. Buckle your seatbelts because there's going to be more of this. These fanatics are all kind of whipped up into a damn frenzy. They honestly believe that socialism is around the corner. And I hate to disappoint y'all, but it's really, really not. Like, it's just not. I mean, the U.S. is as late-stage capitalist as it can possibly be, and it plans to remain that way, okay? Let's move on to things that Lady likes this week, because this is a mess. (laughs) One thing Lady loves this week is impeachment and removal. Now, even though turkey-neck-ass Mitch McConnell bitched out yet again on doing anything of value, the House of Representatives impeached Donald J. Trump again, making this clown the first president in history to be impeached twice. Now, if the Senate follows that train, this clown won't ever be able to run for public office ever again. And honestly, that's a good thing. I'm not signing up for the movie Maniac Part Do okay? Get out of here. <laughs> Next thing Lady loves this week is eye opening. So Lady cannot help but observe the meltdowns that are happening. For some of the people who participated in these violent-ass riots at the U.S. Capitol... When they tried to fly home and quickly realized the FBI ain't no joke. Now, videos have been circulating online with white people in full ass meltdown mode when they get to the airport to fly home from their little soiree at the Capitol building trying to kidnap and kill Congress people and found themselves on the no fly list. One person even said, They're treating me like a nigger with a hard ER. Well, one thing is clear, my friends Donald Trump ain't your man. He ain't cared about you, he's not fighting for you, he's just using you. And you can be sure of that, unless you get a pardon in the next seven days or so, which I don't even think is possible because y'all got the respectable white people so aghast that Lady has a feeling that Joe ass gon' see the inside of a concrete block for at least a few years. The moral of the story? Choose your friends wisely. We can talk
0: all day. But we got to save some for later. So can I say one thing? I just got to get it in there. Like, I just want people to know, like, because people's action, we've become the white people (laughs) whispers. But there's a lot. People's action is a multiracial, urban, suburban, rural group. And but we believe to win, we got to build a multiracial coalition and we got to bring especially low income white folks into that coalition. But there's there's much more to us than the whispering.
1: Ashe, Ashe. Well, you know, George, I feel very strongly that the multiracial coalition building and movement building that is needed requires us strengthening the components of that movement. And so, yes, 100 percent, it is so important to have a fighting organization where people come together across class, across gender, across race to really fight for the things we have in common But we all know there's weak links in the movement. And, you know, it's exactly why, you know, we focus on making sure that Black people can be powerful in this process, making sure that we're coming and collecting our folks when we're doing the wrong thing. And so it is so deeply important that you are also investing in organizing white folks as a constituency to help transform how power operates while bringing folks into the context of what the world actually fucking looks like yeah. <laughs> so thank you for the both and and I just want to give you an opportunity to talk about how people can find your work how people can follow your work and how can they find you on the socials
0: if they yes. want to know more yes I don't even know how to do that but um, I'm the first two <laughs> yeah you can go to peoplesaction.org and learn about uh, canvassing you can sign up we're doing camp we just did a big canvassing project in Georgia you could learn about this if that sounds interesting to you and then we have a podcast called To See Each Other that really follows our organizing in rural communities over the last couple of years, um, including some of the deep canvassing work. And you can go to peoplesaction.org uh, slash uh, podcast or just look up TC each other wherever you Uh, wherever you do that thing and my name is george last name g-o-e-h-l so i think that's my twitter handle
1: yeah Yeah. well done thank you so much thanks for having me awesome to have you yeah you didn't fuck it up well done All okay good
0: and
1: that's it for lady don't take no but i'll be back here every single friday morning to accompany you where you used to have a commute We appreciate you joining us and let's keep the conversation going. Tell us what's on your mind. Tell us what you like and tell us what you ain't going to take no more of on Twitter. We're at lady take on Insta. We're at lady. Don't take no pod on Facebook. We're at lady. Don't take no podcast by Alicia Garza. We post ways to do something about the things you hear about on this show all over our social media. So if we got you amped up today, check out the socials to find out how you can take action. Giving a special shout out this week to Jahari Farrar for making sure that people get what they need from our socials. We appreciate you. <laughs> please subscribe and please write us a review and let the people know what you've heard here today. Our producer is Phil Circus. Our incredible theme is Biloterics. This pod is supported by the Black Futures Lab. And I'm your host, Alicia Garza. Remember, choose your friends wisely, don't let your little temper tantrum get you fucked up by the FBI, and we have about a week left before a new chapter in this country's history. Take a deep breath and get ready for the ride. That's right, I said it, because Lady Don't Take No.
0: she insist don't respect the sister. Walk around like a woman knew. She won't speak unless it's something worse saying don't play. The girl take herself so seriously. People stare curiously. She got
1: a natural way, her hips sway
0: furiously.